Mike plays the C chord. C chord. All right, we got two chords out, the G and the C. C chord. This is what we got for a song so far. Got that C chord. Some All we need is a D and we got half the country songs ever invented. Ever made, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, don't fret, because we're about to rock out with Record. Next up, we scheme and delegate to build wondrous monuments for His Majesty in Architects of the West Kingdom. And lastly, Checkers meets Nesting Dolls as we nom 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 our opponents in Goblet. I'm your host, Celeste Angelus. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid game explorers. I'm Evan Bernstein, and like guitar players and junk collectors, I pick things. I'm Ed Povolaitis. Like architects in Amazon, I stack goods. And I'm Mike Grenier, and like ogres and parfait, I have layers. Hey, fellow explorers, we want to welcome our first sponsor to the show, Smirk and Dagger Games. Ooh, stab, stab, stab. Welcome, welcome. Because games are a lot more fun when you can stab a friend in the back. (laughs) (laughs) They are known for incredibly good take-that games like Cutthroat Caverns, Hex Hex, which we had a lot of fun with, killing each other, (laughs) uh, and my favorite, Run for Your Life Candyman. (laughs) <laughs> and my more favorite role for your life, Candyman. <laughs> Evan, why don't you get us started talking about their newest backstabber? Smirk and Dagger's newest title is The Deadlies. It's hot off the presses, just March 11th, and currently available at smirkanddagger.com as well as in stores. The Deadlies is a devious little take-that-style card game for three to five players based on the seven deadly sins. Here depicted as cute and edgy little animals. Yep. And just what you'd expect. A big fat pig as gluttony (laughs) and (laughs) a drooling turtle, of course, as sloth. Uh (laughs) The object is to get rid of the deadlies as quick as you can from your hand. Each suit has its own unique wicked power themed to its namesake. It's highly interactive as you may liken it to a more ramped up and nasty game of Uno. (laughs) Perfect for family staying in and spending a lot more time together. Yay! Yeah. I mean, everybody gets so darn angry at Uno anyway, you might as well have a way to channel your anger better, where it's actually part of the game. Sure. Yeah, you can just blame the deadlies now. More thematic. It's appropriate. I love how proud that unicorn is. Yeah, I'm a unicorn. (laughs) I love how the seven deadly sins are really well represented in this game. Like you'll get a card. It'll say one of the seven deadly sins on it, like envy. And the effect of that card might be to draw two cards. And if you don't have an envy in your hand, you can trade your hand with another player. Uh How envious of you. (laughs) Here, take this card. I mean, great hand, yeah. (laughs) And gluttony is like, take a card from another player or draw three cards. I like that. (laughs) Then take another turn. Who doesn't like another turn? Come on. Hey. It's very gluttonous. Come on. (laughs) More sins, the better. The Deadlies is for ages 10 and up, and it's $14.99. Find it at your local retailer or online at smirkandagger.com. 
thanks again to our sponsor, Smirk and Dagger Games. Our first game up this week is Record, designed by Marshall Britt and Andrew Toth, published by Yanaguana Games in 2018. Number of players, 1 to 5, ages 8 and up. Playtime, 45 minutes. Okay, explorers, who's going to tell everyone what's in the box? I got this. <gasps> okay, Mike, go. All right. Well, the first thing I'm seeing here is the awesome looking box, which is nice and simple. It looks like a guitar amp with the word record in cursive written across the front. When you crack it open, I'm seeing 35 guitar picks, a velour sexy pick bag, Mm. a nice play mat made out of neoprene, six genre cards, of course, a rule book, 36 chord cards, 36 song cards, and Celeste loves this, a score pad. (laughs) <laughs> gotta have a score pad i was like "Ooh, a score pad it is one of my favorite things <laughs> and that was in the box baby but before we tell you if record lives up to its glam rock image evan tell us how it's played in record players seek to be the most popular guitarist each player starts the game with a hidden genre color card a hidden song card and a hand of three chord cards Players may take one of three actions on their turn. Take a pick from the supply and place it on the fretboard. Draw a random pick from the bag and place it on the board. Or they may draw two chord cards. Guitarists gain popularity by having the most of their color picks on the board or by playing chords. The game ends when five frets have been scored. The player with the highest total popularity wins. What song was that, I wonder? (laughs) I did love that the songs in this game on the song cards that you could score with were cheap knockoffs of real songs because they couldn't use the real titles. (laughs) They were so good. I had a song called Tom Saw Her by Rash. (laughs) Yeah. One of the songs I had was um, Draft Pint instead of Daft Punk. And it was uh, all night to get plunky or something. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I was trying to learn to fry by the Food Fighters. Learning to fry, yes. Terrible puns left and right. Evan would have loved all of those joke names. Although I think I would have been uh, distracted too much by the puns and not focused on winning the game and becoming the guitar player of all time. <laughs> I mean, there was plenty of other distractions in this game. <laughs> <laughs> The game looks pretty cool. I mean, I love the components. It's uh, mm-hmm. really nice stuff, especially the guitar picks. I think the guitar picks is the coolest touch in the game, being a whole bunch of colored picks that are real guitar picks. I kind of like the neoprene board with the, the different frets on it, because I don't know anything about playing guitars. And I started to learn what chords actually look like and mm. you know what a frets are. And like Celeste was teaching us a bunch of stuff with her guitar playing on the side, too. <gasps> oh, I didn't know you played guitar, Celeste. Yeah, I play enough to get through the basic version of record, that's for sure. (laughs) It's more than me. I did bust out my guitar Mm -hmm. for this game, and I thought it added quite a bit to the enjoyment of the game. (laughs) I agree, I agree. I really liked it. (laughs) Well, it was fun because you're trying to lay out the cards with the chords on them. I'm like, you need to hear what you're doing to help immerse you. Yeah. So every time somebody played a chord, I'm like, okay, here's what your chord sounds like. But I am going to play the G chord. Here it is. <laughs> that is. That's G. Celebration yep. music. 
So what they need then is the super deluxe version of this game that the board actually, when you put your pick down, it plays the note you're putting down and then you can hit the fret and it'll play the whole chord for you. That's what it needs, right? (laughs) So what you're doing is you're putting picks on the frets of a guitar. That's what the neoprene mat is. And as you put your picks down on certain notes you're building a chord. It was a lot Mm -hmm. harder to make a chord on that board than it is to make a chord on my guitar. Well, part of the hardship was that you're sharing the board. So you're trying to put your notes in there with your color picks that you want to use. And other people are trying to do the same. And sometimes you cross over and you're fighting over the spot. Sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, me and you had a serious battle. I could never get a chord completed because by the time I'd place one note down, because you can really only get one or two notes depending on special abilities that the picks activate. So, you know, the minimum in most chords is three notes. So by the time your turn came back around to add that third note, my first and second notes were gone, Go you know, on. or one of them was missing because somebody had already rearranged things with their turn. I'm looking at you, Ed. <laughs> oh, actually, for me, uh, I tried to use the wild pick because that was that matches all colors, so we could all play nice. Hey, uh, this one, no one move this one because this matches all your colors, right? Oh, sure. Ed was playing nice the whole time. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> for me, the strategy was, well, if you two are fighting over that, and I know you two are fighting over that because you keep fighting each other over there, I'm going to go somewhere <laughs> else on the board where you guys are not placing pick. Interesting. Yeah, well, the chords I had in my hand didn't give me much choice. Three out of three of the things I had in my hand used the same exact spot. Really? Oh. Yeah. That was another issue. Yeah, was that playing the version of the game we played, which was, I guess, the most basic version, you only get the basic chords, right? So it's three or four chords, C, D, G, you know, and occasionally an A and an E, yeah. you know? So because there's only a few chords, you are bumping into each other quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And those chords have, you know, repeat notes and so stuff. Is that the point where you want to draw two new chord cards in order to try to get a different hand going? I tried that a couple times. And yes, you do want to reset your hand a little bit. But also you're trying to play the chords that match the song that you have. Because you have mm-hmm. a hidden song in your hand and you're That's trying right. to play at least one of each of those chords to make the mm-hmm. song. And there's a huge amount of bonus points for getting that thing done. Which none of us managed to achieve. No, we didn't. Mike, you always go for the epic win, so I imagine that was your strategy again. Yeah, it was my strategy, but I rifled through the deck a few times and I couldn't find a D. So I never had actually in my hand the ability to finish that song, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah, and when I was playing Mike's chords, I'm like, Mike, this mix of chords needs a D. <laughs> yeah, she actually knew it. And I was like, looked at my card. I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah How the right. heck did she know that? <laughs> she's, she's like a music Nostradamus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think another sneaky strategy in the game is putting your color picks on the board. And I, I was trying to say, well, everybody's fighting over these colors and or these places, so I'll put my color picks on faces on the board that are not being used. This way, they won't get in people's way. And the color pick corresponds with the genre. Right. I see. Yeah, it's your hidden genre card from the beginning of the gotcha. game. It tells you what color picks score you more points when they're on the board. It's actually pretty complex. Like Mm -hmm. you've got your genre that you're playing toward. You've got your song that you're playing toward. Those are both hidden. 
In addition, you're just laying out whatever chords you can desperately get finished Mm -hmm. because they're also worth points, just laying random chords down. Yeah. I couldn't even get a random chord. I gave up on my song and my genre. The chords are also like valued depending on how difficult they are supposed to be. Like if there's four notes in it, you get more points, et cetera. And if you play the same chord twice with two different cards that are the same chord, there's a secondary amount of bonus points that you get or victory points, I guess. Called a record. It's a record. You play a C and then you play another C, you get the, the better value for the second, third, fourth, et cetera, C. Ah. Because this chord sound better when you play them twice in a row. Yeah. So apparently they're encouraging you to go junk, 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 junk. <laughs> you know, just the same. <laughs> to shred. Yeah, if you play that, you get a lot of points. <laughs> it is kind of an annoying part of the game, though, where you're you're trying to search through the deck to get chords that you need, and you might not draw them ever. Because the whole action you take during your turn is just, getting new cards i kind of wish there was like a slight extra effect for getting more cards too something that still helps you to move forward in the game maybe like a less powerful version of the pick powers Mm. probably the preferred way of getting new chord cards is playing chord card during your turn Mm because if you completed one during your turn you would get a new card for free so that felt nice but like till i said it's hard to get those chords out there I mm-hmm. think I got maybe three or four cards out the whole game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you were way ahead. And then Mike, what I noticed happened to Mike was that when Ed put a chord out, he was kind of able to just by luck drop chords out. Yeah. It happened twice. <laughs> because his stuff had been auto filled for him by what Ed had put down. Like Ed might have put a rainbow pick in there. Right. And so he was just by random luck getting chords out where mm-hmm. that didn't happen for me. And I think that was the disadvantage of trying to use the rainbows to complete your chord because that helped everybody else. So while it's less combative, it also maybe helped other people a little too much. Yeah, and it helps a lot, too, because of the number of uh, colors there are. It's really tough. Like, you could have a pick in your spot. There's a lot of colors. Yeah, there's a lot of colors to, to try to make sure that you have the exact right color and space for the thing you're trying to play. Because one of the colors is actually that pick upside down. The face down pick is actually one of the options. So it's six colors plus the upside down. So really seven different colors you're trying to put on a six string board of Mm -hmm. five frets. That's a lot of spots and a lot of colors you have to match. It's a lot. The only way to get the face down picks on the board is to pick them out of the bag and then peek at them and then put them face down on the board. If you take them from that supply row that's on the board, Everybody knows what they are, and they're already face up. Sure. And then you play them, and you get their ability when you play them, too. Some of the examples are like, place the red pick, and you can remove any other pick from the board. That helps you to free up a spot you needed, but it also annoys the person who put that pick there was trying to build up to it for three turns. (laughs) Or there's one where you can swap two picks that are on the board by playing, I think it's the blue pick. It sounds like everyone's elbowing for a finite amount of space. Oh, yeah. A very finite amount of space, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just was not successful. I think maybe my position had something to do with it because I think you are dependent a little bit on the strategy of the person directly before you in turn Mm -hmm. order. Yep. Uh Ed's strategy 
was more based on, can't we all just get along? Kind of let me place these rainbow picks and we'll just get it moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ed, yeah. Mike was more able to take uh, advantage of that because Mike wasn't laying out rainbow picks as much. And mm-hmm. therefore, I didn't get like a direct ability to riff immediately off of that. Well, yeah. Part of the problem for Celeste was that my pick color was red. <laughs> so like I wanted to get red picks on the board, even if they didn't fit my chords. Because once a whole fret is filled, you take note of how many of each color pick is on the board. And at the end of the game, you score a really high ascending amount of points for the amount of picks that you've had out. So to me, that was a little unbalanced. I felt like you get way too many points just for having your color picks existing on the board. Yeah, maybe I should have just gone for that because Mm -hmm. my pick color was gray and I actually had nothing with, with red picks going on. I didn't have chords with red picks. And again, it's very random. Mm-hmm. How would this have played if five people, the maximum number Oof. of players? We wondered playing? about that. Yeah, it would be tight. I don't know. <laughs> Especially because it takes so long to get back to your turn. I think that the last player really would suffer in this game. Although, in a way, the last player might be helped out by other people putting picks on the board that they need before it comes to their turn. So I don't know which one of those things is stronger. I'm, I'm guessing it's worse to go later. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury record, Ed? Sometimes you can only be heard if you're picking a different tune. I love hitting the stage with just the right chord, but the bright <laughs> lights just may be too mercenary to keep heading back. <laughs> Mike? It has the advantage of being an easy-to-learn tactical kind of set collection game. Not too sure how many times I'd play this tune, but for now, I will dig it up. I love music-themed games, and I found this instrument-themed game to be very unique. But unfortunately, the mechanics of the game did not feel harmonious to me. I'm going to bury it. Ed, where can you find this game? Record was funded at Kickstarter and was chipped with backers. And you can get pre-ordered now at Yanaguana Games for 40 bucks. If you have thoughts about Record, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up is Architects of the West Kingdom, designed by Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, published by Renegade Game Studios and Garfield Games in 2018. Number of players, 1 to 5, ages 12 and up, playtime 60 to 80 minutes. Okay, Mike, tell us what's in the box. When I saw the box cover, there were three medieval-looking people staring back at me with a kind of a busted-looking building underneath. When you crack it open, though, it's full of treasures. There's 170 tokens representing clay, wood, gold, and marble supplies. Ten player markers, a hundred worker meeples, (laughs) 40 apprentice cards, 40 building cards, 10 black market cards, ooh, (laughs) 22 debt cards, boo, (laughs) Uh, 11 rewards cards, 6 multiplier cards, I'm not sure what that means yet, Uh, and a giant six-fold play board, which is beautiful. Uh, You got five double-sided little player boards. And 50 punch board coins, and of course, a 20-page, beautiful, full-color rulebook. And that's what's in the box. But before we find out if Architects of the West Kingdom is as fun to play as it is to unpack, Evan, tell us how it's played. In Architects of the West Kingdom, players are royal architects of the Carolingian Empire, circa 850 A.D., 
competing to impress their king by constructing various landmarks. Players need to collect raw materials, hire apprentices, and keep a watchful eye on their workforce. These are treacherous times, you see, and rival (laughs) architects will stop at nothing, and I mean nothing, to slow your progress. Will you remain virtuous? will be found in the company of thieves and black marketeers and other gutter dwellers. <laughs> Points are gained by constructing various buildings and advancing work on the Archbishop's Cathedral. <laughs> the game ends once a set number of constructions have been completed, and the one with the most points is, of course, the winner. Of course, you're building a giant church. <laughs> Stupid Archbishop's Cathedral. I got totally crushed. Oh, dear. <laughs> that's the one who's been dealing with the black marketeers. Of course, the cathedral will have nothing to do with you. <laughs> I took a look. I took a look at that cathedral, and I looked at how the point structure works. And only there can be only one. Only one person can gain the highest amount of po- victory points off that cathedral by completing it. Twenty victory points, and I'm like, that's it. I'm going for it. I'm taking the Mikey approach. <laughs> Going for that big daddy. I am going for the epic win, and that is what I am going to concentrate on. That was it. That was my strategy. That's 20 points is a lot in this game, I'm assuming. That's a good amount. It's a nice chunk. Yeah. Yeah, it's a nice chunk all, all at once. But again, only one person can have it. So yeah. Did you achieve goal. your goal, Evan? I did achieve my goal. Nice. Actually, yes. And <laughs> did you win the game? It was a tie, and then I won the tiebreaker, right? Yep, it was a tie, and between Ed and Evan, because apparently going the black market route is not a good choice. (laughs) (laughs) Tempting though it might be. Do you think if you went deeper in the black market, it might have helped? (laughs) No, and I'll tell you why. (laughs) I'll tell you why. (laughs) Your ability to use the black market area and any area of this game is limited. So you can't really double down on the black market because there are limitations. You can't use the spots uh, more than once in a sort of turn slash round. You you take such brutal hits to your reputation when you Uh, use the black market that eventually you can't even use it anymore because you just don't have the ability to get in there. Wait, you're telling me you're too dirty for the black market? (laughs) Sorry, no, you can. You can, but you take on so much debt that it no longer becomes worth it. (laughs) <laughs> you love debt, Mikey. Oh, I'm a mm-hmm. huge fan, as everybody knows who's listened before. I love games that drive you deep into debt. Yeah. So choosing the dark <laughs> side here is is not really an option. I played a game with another friend who used the black market um, surprisingly well. Oh, I think it can be used well. He actually managed, he managed to set up a combo where debt did not matter to him. Ooh. So he was, he was collecting debt, not paying taxes. And doing whatever he wanted down there. And then, about halfway through the game, decided to be virtuous. Yeah, I agree. If you're going to use the black market, use it early. Because it's honestly not that hard to climb your reputation later if you're thinking about it. Have that two-pronged strategy where you're like, I'm going to just double down. I don't care. I'm an evil villain. (laughs) And then later, like, give a bazillion dollars to the church and they're like welcome back to the fold my my son yes all your sins are cleansed my child (laughs) oh thank you for your generosity um they don't remember the last thing you did they don't care about the 20 times that you went to the black market if you paid them some goods at the end like huh i guess you are okay so it's ultra realistic is what you're saying 
<laughs> yeah, no, essentially it's you can you can climb out of the reputation bit for sure. Uh-huh. Um but you can't just go dark side. You're going to mm-hmm. eventually have to turn it around. I think that's one of the intriguing things about the game that virtue is a fungible currency. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. Ed said fungible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I found myself sort of playing an alignment of sorts. I was definitely on the good path, and I, I felt a little tainted if for any reason my reputation went down a bit, even though it didn't have a necessarily a negative impact directly on my score or anything. I still felt like, ooh, I didn't, that didn't feel right. That's kind of funny. It gives you like a little ca- LARP, like a role playing character. Yeah, sort you, of. Evan was lawful good from the beginning. He, he, even, he wouldn't even look at me. If I steal from the tax stand now, does that mean that goes down to four? And what is that de- deficit there? Give me the money. Thief! Thief! <laughs> ding, 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 thief! Ding, 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 ding! Sound a thief alarm! Lock away your children, a thief! <laughs> <laughs> you were too tainted, he can't even look. <laughs> I wouldn't look at you, be- you know why? Be- because you, my friend, kept putting all of my workers into prison. <laughs> Yeah, that was another thing I was trying to do. That is one of the other cool things that this game does that's different than most other worker placement games. You can put other people's workers in prison. Oh, that would be infuriating. Oh. She tied up my workers so many times. It was rough. I wow. had to spend turns doing nothing but trying to get my people out of prison, which <laughs> takes takes valuable time off the board for you. I guess what I did was just make up lies about them and get them arrested. You know what That's I mean? Like, like a witch hunt. Unlike other worker placement games, here you can put workers wherever you want, as often as you want. Actually, the more times you visit the same location with your workers, the better that spot is. Oh, that's kind of a it flip. Gets more powerful with more workers there. Yeah. For example, if I go put a worker in the silver mine, I'll get a piece of silver. If I put two there i'll get more silver if i if i keep compounding it i'll i'll get a higher return on my investment for the more workers i have there. is it like a curve like one two four something like that no but it, but it makes a huge difference because it's per turn mm. so you can get one silver per turn or you can get four silver per turn oh they stay out there they stay, they stay there out there. Oh. Your, your turn is very simple you place one worker on the board and then based on where you place the worker it activates that location Got and right. each location usually gets you benefit based on the number of workers you have there at the time that you place it. Right, Mike. So if let's say I have five of my workers in the silver. Each round, I'm getting five silver. Great. Until Celeste comes along <laughs> and decides to rat out or do something nefarious. And all five <laughs> in one swoop, I lose five workers. Oof. All five at once go to the prison. That's harsh. Like she says, something, something foul is going on in the silver mine. You should check that out. And then somebody shows up and arrests everybody. Exactly. I mean, look at all those people congregating over there. They must not be up to good. Right, right. I'm seeing in the bottom right corner, I'm looking at the board here, There's. it looks like specialists or something or people you can hire. What's that all about? Oh, yeah. So, again, you have to carefully manage your resources in this area as well. You can't buy too many people because that's going to slow you down too much. But if you get just the right amount of people that help you with just the right amount of resources for whatever you're building, because you do build other buildings other than the stupid cathedral, <laughs> and, and if they help you with that, then, you know, you can get a really good synergy going. But you got to be careful. Balance is everything in this game, which is why mm-hmm. I, I was very impressed with Ed's strategy everywhere. Evan had an early 
a plan that worked well for him. But Ed thwarted me at every turn. Like every time <laughs> I tried to slow Ed down, I could I could not do it. It was difficult. You can send the guys uh, to prison. What guys? No, go f- Ed. You're never getting these guys back. <laughs> well, you can pay for them if you I want. Know, I know. Pay five <laughs> and lose a virtue for them. But sending them to prison is a way for you to get money. Whee! It's actually a way to get, give you debt. He knew how nefarious you were, and he prepared well. <laughs> he was very diverse in his approach. Yeah, which very diverse. Him. Games yeah. like this, oftentimes, that's a solid strategy, is to have yeah. your fingers at least like in a, in different places in case you need to flex. Well, what it, what it is is you're you're looking at what other people are doing and learning what they're likely to do, and that to me is fun. It's like you know mm-hmm. what Celeste is going to go and round up my people next because a that's what she likes to do, and b <laughs> I have too many people want, but I would do that too. Yeah, so I just planned on so when she does it, I'm going to capitalize on it. That that's one of those interesting things about a game like this is that even though there's not a ton of direct interaction, the interaction is you know, kind of a poker type of interaction where you're playing to the people. Absolutely, Mike. I was constantly, constantly trying to judge what the other players were going to do and how that was going to impact my turn. I I was very engaged in this game. That's cool. I was on the back foot for most of the game. I was. <laughs> that's for sure. And that's what you get for dabbling in evil. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> once you rob the tax collector once, you know, that was it. <laughs> Robbing like... the tax collector is sweet deal. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, because all the taxes get collected at one spot, and then you can just go rob the tax collector for all the money you yeah, have. That'll be my turn. Rob the tax collector. Oh, look that's at That's amazing. Oh, Reputation man. suffers, but who cares, right? <laughs> yeah, like you said, though, if you rob them for enough money, you could pay some of it back to... Uh, get your reputation back and keep the rest for yourself. Yeah, I found myself doing that at one point when I was like, <laughs> I have no coins here. I am stuck. I need coins. Oh, tax. Okay. You did. You did it once. You did it once. <laughs> I looked, looked the other way, everyone. I don't want you to see my shame. <laughs> yeah, the temptation was just too strong. <laughs> it was a huge amount of money you got. It was. It was a nice pile, like 12 coins or something. Even the most Dick. virtuous can be bought. <laughs> well, it was for the greater good. Let's just put it that <laughs> perfect rationalization. I love yeah, it. <laughs> Evan's shock when I shot up the virtue scale near the end of the game was <laughs> really enjoyable. Oh, that was brutal. Because here I am, being virtuous the whole game long, carefully tending to it, and Celeste, who's dwelling in the gutter for ninety-two percent of the game. Oh, I'll just. <laughs> To make one, two plays. Oh, hey, I have 29 virtue now. Great. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> there's one little, nice little touch with the player board they added. Each, you know, there are five different player boards, and you can play mm-hmm. the default setting where they're all the same. Or you can play with the other side of the board, Ooh. where each character has their unique starting places. A little fine-tuning, yes. Yeah. I love that. that. That'll put you even more into the role-playing zone. It is a nice looking board. Everything is beautiful. You know, the art is lovely. It is cartoon style, but it's got just the right amount of lightness and gravitas. Hmm. Um, I couldn't have told you that it was the Carolingian Empire, 850 <laughs> AD. That, no. that, that, that it, it did not have that level of definition to it. Um, but otherwise it was fine. Yeah, it looked like a standard medieval village. You know, there's an area that's the village and then out on the outskirts is where you get a lot of the resources, you know, so there's sort of a forest drawn in uh, Mm -hmm. as you go through the board, you know, from village to forest. 
Yeah, come check out the pictures, guys. It's really cool. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Architects of the West Kingdom. Evan? I was engaged the whole game through, and I feared what my opponents were doing and how it was going to impact my design. So it was good theme, good components, and I had fun. Dig it up. Ed? The quality of its presentation and the fun twist of its mechanics made this a great medium-weight game for your workers to build. Dig it up. All right, so for board games, I think it's no secret that I don't prefer longer games. And as well-designed as it is, it outstayed its welcome for me. A little bit too long with a little bit too much to deal with. So I'm going to bury it for me. Evan, where can you find this game? You'll find it at local game stores and online, and it retails for about $55. If you have thoughts about Architects of the West Kingdom, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, explorers. I think I've spotted something. Oh, I see it. So shiny. Wow. It's our very first hidden treasure ad. We want to tell you about... 10,000 Thunders, the compelling new science fiction novel by Brian Trent. Hugo award-winning author Robert J. Sawyer says, 10,000 Thunders is a thrilling science fiction adventure from first page to last. Brian Trent is one of our very best new writers, and now's the time to start reading him. In the far future, the world is divided between those with access to godlike technologies and those just trying to survive another day. Having just been killed in a mysterious shuttle explosion, Gethin Bryce is back to uncover what happened. His investigation takes him from the luxurious enclaves of Earth's elite to the battered wastelands beyond, and on the trail of a sadistic entity threatening all life everywhere. <laughs> Hey, Mike, I think you might have missed your calling as an audible novel reader. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Thank you. Available on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. Check it out. I love this guy. 10,000 Thunders. Our last game up this week is Goblet. Designed by Thierry Denoual. Published by Blue Orange Games in 2000. Number of players, two. Ages seven and up. Playtime, 20 minutes. Okay, explorers, Mike is going to open the box. All right, so while the last game was a giant box, this is a smaller box with very few components in it, but I would say that they are giant gems. We have a kind of a cigar box with kind of a goofy looking picture on the front with these little cups jumping on top of each other. Cups with faces anthropomorphized cups jumping on top of each other when you slide the box open the lid that comes off flips over and there's a board like a four by four grid inside and the pieces look like little russian nesting dolls there's a big piece and then three smaller pieces descending inside of it they're beautiful smooth finished wood and that's basically it that's the whole deal and that's what's in the box Thank you, Mike. But before we find out if this solid wood game is solid gold, Evan, tell us how it's played. Well, Celeste, in Goblet with an exclamation point, players place pieces on a 4 by 4 grid, striving to get four pieces in a horizontal, vertical, or diagonal row. 
Each player has a set of 12 nesting pieces that start in three stacks off the board. On a turn, you either play an exposed piece from off the board piles or move a piece on the board to any other spot on the board where it fits. A larger piece can cover any smaller piece. A piece being played from off the board may not cover an opponent's piece unless it's in a row where your opponent has three of his color. Your memory is tested as you try to remember which color one of your larger pieces is covering before (laughs) you move it. A player wins if their four like-colored pieces wind up in a row. All right, first off, I want to really express how nice this box and components are. Great presentation. It's solid wood, and you do slide the lid out of a grooved spot on top of the board, and you flip it over, and that's the game board. It is stained wood. Beautiful. Yeah, and it's not just like a checkerboard. It's a nicely designed layout of squares with spacing in it. It's very nice. It's a burgundy color. Once you take the pieces out, slide it back in and play right there on an elevated box. Yeah, the look at the board made me think it was an older game. Yeah, solid wood boxes. Don't People don't usually do that anymore. I, honestly, my first impression of the box is that when I saw these goofy looking things jumping on top of each other, I was like, oh, God, what is this garbage? <laughs> it's like something from the 70s that was poorly thought out. But I was very pleasantly surprised when I busted this open. Yeah, I kind of wish that the um, the cover of the box was a little less goofy because it's not a goofy game. It is a legit strategy game. I would guess the reason that they did these caricatures, these faces, is because it is designed for kids and adults, because age is seven and up. Mm-hmm. So they have to have a little bit of appeal, I suppose, to the younger kid crowd. They don't want to make the game seem fun and light. And it, it to me, like Connect 4. Mm-hmm. But the strategy is surprisingly deep. I underestimated it. And so when I started playing, I'm like, oh, my God, there's like so many potential strategies here. And like you're you're trying to force your opponent to make a bad move or forget that they covered your piece and move mm. it. Oh, my. I, I forgot there was a piece under my piece like four times. <laughs> <laughs> What's really cool is there's four different sizes. I have four different size pieces, which means three of my pieces can eat another piece. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of remembering when you're moving people around the board. I love the rule that the minute you touch a piece, you've got to move it. That's the touch rule. That's from chess. If you, Yeah, exactly. And if you can't move it, like you lose the game immediately. Like If there's nowhere to put it, you lose. You touch the piece and no legal moves, that's the end of the game. Yep. Ooh, that's cutthroat. <laughs> wow, that's harsh. It's, I know, right? I've touched pieces and lifted them, n- not realizing there was a, <laughs> so, the other guy's piece underneath and been like, no! <laughs> right, so it's like you gave them a free piece on the board because you revealed it and now it's active again for them. Once you lift up your piece to move it, their piece is now exposed again and they get to use it again. In play. Right, so you have to be careful because that might have revealed... Uh, a connection that you were blocking before. <laughs> right. And so if you're not careful to recover something that killed all the connection, you lose. Now, another cool thing you can do is cover your own piece. And, and that kind of protects the spot until you're ready to like get your four-way connection. Sure. But also, it, it, it gives you less uh, presence on the actual board itself. So Right, but it's sneaky because yeah. when you move that, it's like, oh, okay, he's moving that piece. And then not realizing, mm-hmm. oh, you still have that location. Yeah, you're forcing your opponent to remember that you covered your own piece there. Mm-hmm. Like a two-for-one benefit. It's clear that the most powerful piece are 
the three big pieces you have on the board because they can't oh, yeah. be covered. And it's genius that there's only three of them. You cannot, you just <laughs> can't finish the game like that. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh-huh. You got one move, put one of your fat boys in the slot. That's all you got. <laughs> yeah. Fat man in the slot, move yeah. it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 12 pieces is a lot to keep track of. <laughs> yep. Especially when some are covered. Yeah, you got to remember their sizes too. Like your biggest piece can cover somebody else's smallest piece. So there's still some steps in between that people can use to cover that next piece again. So if I have a piece covered and I go to expose it, I'm risking my, I'm risking the fact that my opponent can then take one of their cups and go right over my piece. Mm-hmm, exactly. And then that's how that push and pull goes. Ed Ed's strategy was just to get me to make a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Wait it out. Eventually just, you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll make a bad move. And yeah. Jump, jump I, mean, I mean, just with any game like chess, the idea is to fork them, you know, threaten in two different locations and this way they'll defend one and the other will be open. Right, exactly. To sneak up <gasps> and give them a fork. Yeah, setting oh. setting them up is, is very important, which for me, you know, I'm not a big player of abstract games. Uh, Joe, my husband, plays chess and uh, Othello all the time. And so, mm. like, there was no beating him. I think I played seven <laughs> times. The, how did Joe like the game? Oh, he liked it a lot. He liked it a lot. He was impressed. He's like, I thought this game was going to be junk. Uh, me too. <laughs> I thought it was going to be trash. We're like, oh, yeah, this will be perfect for our third segment. Some weird game from the 70s. And <laughs> it turns out it's from the 2000s and it's really good. I was actually really um, enticed by just the way the cup stack like Russian dials. It just looked cool. Yeah, it's very cool looking. I'm, I was kicking myself for not being the person to design this game. It's simple. It's cool. I don't know. I, I'm sad that, that somebody else came up with it first. I love mm. it. Um, 20 years ago. In its day, it was it actually had a lot of sales. Oh. I was looking at it, and it had won some uh, good awards, some legitimate awards. I don't know how it just sort of fell away. I would think that this would be the type of game that you would reprint and reprint. Yeah, and I, I'd love to see a travel version of this game, like a little smaller one, you know? Good point. Good point. But this game is widely available, at least online. One little tiny downside that I saw with this game is that... Uh, the player one seems to have a little bit of an advantage just because they're able to get more pieces on the board faster. But I, I feel like this would be more of a tournament style thing where you take turns being player one and, and mm. play multiple games to see who comes out ahead. The player one advantage is real in some games. Folks, it's real. Player one <laughs> advantage is real. Two out of three, three out of five. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Seven. Yep, that's maybe. a good solution for this game. And it goes very quickly. I mean, yeah. right. My games certainly didn't take 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. When you get crushed by Joe, probably. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> yeah. I was crushed quite quickly by pretty much everybody I played with. <laughs> oh, man. I should have played you then to get a win under yeah. my belt. <laughs> How did the kids like the game? The kids liked the look of it. And uh, they picked it up very quickly. So my daughter, who is a big checkers player, liked it a lot. Okay, explorers. It's time to dig up or bury goblets. Mike? You'd never know by the box cover, but this game was shockingly deep and had me wanting to play again, so definitely dig this up. Ed? The depth of strategy underneath these little stacking cups is clever and fun. Dig it up. This game far surpassed my expectations and my skill level. <laughs> as <laughs> It's as easy as checkers to understand, but infinitely better to play. Dig it up. Evan, where can you find this game? 
You can find copies of Goblet at many local stores online. Retails for about 20 bucks. There are used copies to be had as well online. Five to ten bucks if you can find them. If you have thoughts about Goblet, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. Hit us up. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We want to hear from you. If you'd like more content from us, including exclusive episodes for patrons only, just go to our website and click on Become a Supporter Today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review on your favorite podcaster. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord. We are at Which Game First. Thanks and happy gaming, explorers. I raise my goblet to you. First you with a fungible currency. Nom, 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 nom.